book of 2 Peter. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to that book right now. It's towards the back of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to borrow one, just raise your hand and uh, Jody and Ellie will deliver one to you. And the words will also appear on the screen. There's a number of passages that I may be referring to today. Um, some of them I, I might just refer to because there's quite a few. And uh, so you might want to follow them. Some of them might appear. Maybe you just want to jot a few down to look later. But we'll, uh, we'll try and get through quite a bit today. We started looking at 2 Peter last time I was preaching last week. And uh, we're going to go, especially through this first 11 verses... Um, I'll tell you what, let's read all 11 verses today. Let's start from verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, uh, knowledge self-control and self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you, forgive, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if he's short-minded and blind and has forgotten that he's been... Clon- <laughs> I'm struggling with this today. I? Put my teeth in. If anyone does not have them, he's short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That wasn't even a tough passage to read, but it was for me. Um, well, we'll hopefully get on from there a little bit better. Um, We're going to focus mainly today on verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Okay. Um, Many of you will know that in... January, uh, myself, Debbie, my wife, and our kids are heading off for six months initially to Canada, to Fredericton, and uh, we've started to prepare for going. We've started to think, well, what do we need for life in Canada? Um, And we're kind of doing a checklist of things that we need for life in Canada. They will include things like warm winter clothes, because we're going in January, and apparently uh, it gets down to about minus 30, minus 35 there. Kind of need some warm clothes. They'll also include some summer clothes, because it can get in summer up to about 30 degrees, 35 degrees. Um, We also will need a house, and a car, and um, some money. Um, 
mobile phones, insurance. Um, the list actually seems to be going on and on. And every so often we realize, oh, there's something else that we're going to need when we're there for these six months. And no doubt when we get there, we will realize a whole load of other things that we needed that we hadn't thought about before we got there. We can actually have the same kind of view about our life as followers of Jesus. We can tend to think, well, what do we need for life? Well, actually, we could do with this and we could do with this. If only, if only we had this personality, if only we had that opportunity open up to us, if only we had that group of friends, if only we had that job, uh, then actually our life would be so much easier. If only I had a husband, if only I had a wife, if only we had kids, if only... We had these different things. And Peter has started off this letter by talking about how God has given us a faith which is precious through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We looked at that last week. He's going to move on to talking about the things that we need to do. So verse 5, he says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness and knowledge. And we're going to look at that next time that I preach on this. But today... We're going to focus on this, these verses where he's talking about what God has done for us, what he's already provided us with, what God has already given us. And he says this, this is quite a statement, that he says, his divine power, Christ's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's already given us everything that we need for life here on earth and to live a godly life on earth. Everything, everything. There's nothing else that he could give us. He's already given us everything we need. What does, what does that mean? What are these great and precious promises that he's talked about? Great and precious promises that we need for life and godliness. Today we're going to look at five things. Five different things that God has already given us, which will help us, which will give us, provide for us what we need for our life here on earth. What we need to live a godly life here on earth. The first thing is he has already given us forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Verse 3 says... His divine power has given us everything we need through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God has called us to himself. He's actually called us, it says, to participate in the divine nature. He's called us to participate in Christ. In other words, to be in Christ. To be in Christ. Romans 8.1 talks about how when we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. It says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. Because if those, if those of us who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, there is no, there is total forgiveness. There is total forgiveness. In Colossians chapter 1, we see how Paul there writes about how we were enemies of God. He says we were enemies of God and alienated for him. Colossians 1 verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds 
Because of your evil behavior. That's where we once were. But now, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If we continue in our faith, we've been reconciled to God. We were aliens from God. We were totally separate from God. There was no way that we could reconcile ourselves to God. Actually, God had to reconcile us to himself. How did he do it? Through the death of Jesus Christ, his body given as a sacrifice on the cross. And that reconciliation has happened. There's forgiveness that has already happened. We're in that state because we've received something from God. We've not earned it ourselves. We've not deserved it. We've not earned it. We've received it by faith. And we continue in it by faith. And that is the biggest need of us all. That's the biggest need we can all have. Some people don't realize how important it is. Some people go through life and they just assume things are going to be okay. Actually, you know, God, I'm not sure about God, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. We can get through life without God. We don't need God for our life. Actually, being reconciled to God, being forgiven by God is essential. Especially, we'll find that out after we die. There's no point in hoping for the best because we will face God when we die. We will face God face to face. In a few weeks' time, I'm going over to India with Blessan, who uh, is part of the North Congregation. Um, and uh, I'm traveling there to Delhi and to Kerala. And yesterday, no, Friday, Friday, I suddenly realized, do you know what? I think I need a visa to go to India. I suddenly re- I had not even considered it. I thought about some of the things we were going to be doing there. I've got other plans. And I'm thinking, okay, I've got the tickets. That's all okay. You're not supposed to get the tickets before you get a visa. But we've got the tickets. And I suddenly thought, I've not got a visa. I've not got a visa. And I'm not sure, you know, it's it's a good job I thought about it. Because had I not realized that, what would have happened had I got to the airport? I don't know if I would have actually got out of England. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But certainly when I landed in India, what would have happened? They wouldn't have let me in the country. They just wouldn't have let me in the country. And that's how many people live their lives. Not thinking ahead, not recognizing what they need. The Bible tells us we'll face Jesus and be judged by him. What will we need in order to enter into eternal life? What will we need to enter into God's presence in eternal life? We will need the righteousness of Jesus freely given to us to give us entry in the same way that a visa gives me entry or will give me entry, hopefully, into India. But it's no point leaving it until we're standing there. It would be no point me leaving it until I'm standing there before the immigration official in India. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I needed that. Can I get it now? No, sir, you can't. There's another plane goes back very soon. (laughs) Actually, when we stand before God, it won't be any good saying, we didn't realize 
I didn't realize we needed this. Now I see, now I see that, that we were, that reconciliation with God comes through Jesus. Oh, is it okay? Can I get that now? No. No. It's only now. It's only in our life on earth that we can receive that forgiveness, that we can receive that reconciliation with God. And we will have the promise of eternal life. One of God's great and precious promises. Ultimately, we will escape the corruption of the world. I believe that verse means more than just that, but that's the ultimate thing, where there's no more corruption, no more decay, no more evil, no more pain, no more suffering. That's one of the things, if we know God, that we have received. It's the most important. Let me say to you, if you've not received that, if you've not received that, don't leave it. Don't leave it until it gets too late. Don't cut it fine. Oh, I'll, I'll respond at some point in the future. I'll get it at some point. It's available now. You can respond to that and receive that reconciliation with God today. That's the first thing. The second thing, the second thing that we've received is a new nature. We have received from God a new nature that means actually we don't have to sin. Paul Peter's here speaks about escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We've, we've already seen that ultimately we'll escape the corruption when we die, but we, we're out of the world anyway. But Peter's actually speaking also of life in the world. We can escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires right here and now because God gives us a new nature that means we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. Before coming to know God, before being reconciled to God and receiving this great and precious faith, actually we were, Paul says that we were slaves to sin. He talks about it in those terms. He said we were slaves. In Romans chapter 6, that's a whole chapter that he talks about it, but he says this in verse um, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body of sin may be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Paul's saying, when we came to know God, when we were reconciled to God, it was as though our old selves died at that point. They died at that point. They were crucified along with Jesus. And so when you die, you're set free. If you're a slave and you die, you're not a slave anymore. Because you've been set free from that, that bondage. It doesn't make sense to say you're still a slave. And Paul's saying, when we died to our old selves, we were set free from slavery to sin. We've been set free. Sin has no mastery over us anymore. Sin cannot tell us what to do. Our desires aren't in control of us anymore. We'll still have those desires. There'll still be those temptations and desires in our body, in our flesh, Paul calls it, until until we receive a new heavenly body. But we don't have to give in to it. We don't have to do what we what we had to do before. So earlier on in that chapter in Romans 6, 
Paul explains how we've died to our old way of life. We no longer have to sin. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? No, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of those who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He's saying, we don't need to carry on in that way. We don't need to live in the ways that we did before. Different parts of the Bible. The same theme comes up. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about us being new creations. Jesus in John 3 verse 3 speaks about being born of the Spirit or being born again. Similar themes. It affects the way that we live our lives today. Now, neither Peter or Paul are saying we're unable to sin anymore. Some people have thought that that's the implication of what has been said. But he's not saying that. He's not saying we don't sin anymore. He's not saying um, that we that we're unable to. It's impossible that we've got perfect bodies now that aren't able to do wrong. Actually, no, we are. But he's saying he's saying we've been given this new nature. And then we can, he's going, Peter's going to go on and say, actually, we can add to what God's given us faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control. The self-control comes into this here. But we've been set free from that bondage. Now, you might think, well, okay, that's all very well hearing that. But actually, in my life, I don't see that happening much. In my life, I, I don't seem to be actually all that different Perhaps you're still falling into the same habits as you used to. A lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the way that we can be free of that is actually realizing that we don't need to do that. We don't need to keep falling into the same old habits. Arnold used to tell a story, and this, this really struck me, so I, I can't think of a better illustration for it, so I'm, I'm probably not going to do it as well, but uh, I'm going to use the same illustration that he used. He spoke about going to someone's house once, and as he was chatting to them, he saw a dog, this, this dog in, in, in the household. And this dog just spent his time running around in circles, constantly running around in circles. And Arnold said to the, to the person who, who owned the dog, he said, what, what, why is your dog running around all the time? Why does it just run around in circles? And he was told, well, this dog used to be badly treated. I, I, we rescued it from, from, uh, from the RSPCA. It had been rescued. In its old life, it had just been chained to a metal post on a chain the whole day. All it could do was run around in circles. That's all it could do because it was chained. It wasn't free. And Arnold said, well, someone needs to tell that dog it's free now. It doesn't need to keep doing it. Well, maybe sometimes we need to hear that we are free. Maybe sometimes in the past we used to, because we were slaves to sin, we couldn't escape. We kept falling into the same habits. We kept running around in circles. And now maybe we still do. And maybe we need to hear we're free. We don't have to do that anymore. We can be set free of those things. 
the power and hold that sin had in our lives has been broken by God's divine power. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can often be fooled into thinking that there's some other thing that we need, some secret thing, some secret thing that that we can find out, we can read books about it. Oh, what is that thing that's going to finally make the difference in my life? What is it that's going to finally change me, finally set me free? We can we can watch God TV. I, 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 I'm horrified sometimes when I look at God TV, and it's very rare that I do. The last time, the last time I did, honestly, they were they were they were. It was basically they're just wanting some money and send some money in, and we will write. Something, and we will put your prayer, what you need freedom from, we'll put it on this altar. We've got this altar, we'll put it there. It's this special place. We'll pray for you. So that's what you've got to do. Send the money in, we'll write the prayer, we'll put it on the altar, and we'll pray and set you free. Aside from the fact I, I worked out it was a repeat, so how could that work? I still wanted your money, but... They decided God had told them to repeat the program. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> but but it was like there was this secret thing. Oh, people, yeah, if I do this, I'm going to get free. No. God's given us everything we need. But there's no there's no need to chase after other things. There's no need to chase from conference to conference, speaker to speaker. Is someone going to reveal this secret thing that's going to set me free in my life? No. God has given us everything we need. He's already done it. He's broken the chains. They've fallen off. We've been set free. God, our Savior, has bought us. He's set us free from slavery. We're his now. We're no longer mastered by sin. We're not. He's not our slave master. Jesus is our master. He's our Lord. And we follow his ways. We can lead pure and holy lives. We can resist the temptations that that are thrown at us by the internet. And we can be self-controlled when it comes to our eating or our drinking and any other ways that our fleshly body will urge us. No, we we want this. We need this. You've got no choice. We've got a choice. Peter's going to go on in in this passage to urge us to live such holy lives. We've been set free. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 tells us that God has given us his great and precious promises. So one of those is eternal life. But one promise that God uh, gave us was that he would send his Holy Spirit. He would, uh, he promised his disciples that, didn't he? He said, the Holy Spirit will come and comfort and guide and empower you. You know, when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to have to die... He'd been living with them for three years and he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be handed over to sinful men. I'm going to be handed over and they will kill me. But I'll, raise, I'll be raised again in three days' time. And then, and then after that, obviously, he was ascended into heaven. And his disciples said, but what are we going to do? What are we going to do without you? You've been with us for three years. Life can't go back to how it was. And Jesus said, no, life's not going to go back to how it was. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. John 14 and verse 16. 
He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. That's the promise. He said, I'll give you another counselor who's not just going to be with you physically for three years. Actually, he'll be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will lead you in life. Verse 25 of John 14 says, he will teach you all things. He said he would remind them of what Jesus himself said. And when we get to the book of Acts, we see it work out. We see that that's what happened. Jesus in Acts 1 verse 4 reminds them that the Holy Spirit is going to come. Because that's when he's ascending to heaven. And, and, and the disciples, they've kind of forgotten. Well, what's going to happen? When are you going to come back? Never mind about that, but just stay here. The Holy Spirit. Well, I'll send the Holy Spirit. I'll send the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 2, we read of his coming in power on the disciples. They're in the room together and the Spirit comes and, and, and it's like tongues of fire separate and, and rest on them. They start to speak in other languages. They're filled with boldness. They come out of the room that they've been hiding in, in, in kind of fear, shut away. No, now they're out on the streets. Now they're proclaiming praise to God. They're worshipping him. They're speaking in different languages. They're gathering a crowd. People are thinking, what's going on here? Nine o'clock in the morning. Are these guys drunk? What's going on? No, we're not drunk. It's the Spirit of God. This is what God promised us. And then Peter boldly stands up. He proclaims the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. 3,000 respond on that day. Wow. Such power. And he says, he says after he's finished preaching... In Acts 2 and verse 38, he tells them it's for them too. It's for you too. He says, look, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. This Spirit that you've seen uh, moving in and through us. You'll receive it too. The promise is for you and your children And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It's for everyone. It's for us. It includes us. God has provided and poured out the Holy Spirit for us. Now having said what I have about there's nothing extra that we need to get from God, it's worth asking ourselves the question, Have we received the Holy Spirit ourselves? Because God has provided it. God has poured it out, him out. He is available to us today. And we can receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. We can receive the Holy Spirit when we give our life to God. But, but sometimes, sometimes it's missed out. We can hear the gospel and we cannot hear about the Holy Spirit. People don't tell us about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes sometimes I've talked to people and they say, oh, well, I don't normally tell people about the Holy Spirit when I give them the gospel because there's quite a lot to take in, isn't there? So I'll go so far and then we'll, we'll stop at that. I'll tell them about the Holy Spirit some other time. Normally after, after they've been a Christian for about five or six weeks and they come and say, do you know what? I'm really struggling with this Christian life. Aha, there's a Holy Spirit that can fill you up. But why didn't you tell me about that to start off with? Now, I kind of understand where people are coming from. But we can receive the Holy Spirit 
as we come to know God. But sometimes we receive him later. In Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and he meets some believers there. And um, he quickly realizes, actually, I'm not sure that these guys have been filled with the Spirit. He says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That wasn't part of the gospel presentation that we heard. Uh, Well, what baptism did you receive then, said Paul. John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul meets some people. He realizes somehow they've not been filled with the Holy Spirit. They're saying they're believers, they're disciples. There's something different about them. Maybe, I don't know, it doesn't fill it out. Maybe he saw them worshipping and just thought, you know, there's not really any life in this worship. Sometimes if we if we struggle, we might come to a meeting and we think, you know what, everyone seems to be into this worship time. Everyone seems to be raising their hands or there's joy in them and I'm, I'm struggling. I don't, and that's consistent in your life. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe that's a sign you've actually not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when the Spirit fills us, it pours out joy in our life. There's worship, there's exuberance. These disciples here, they start to speak in tongues straight away because there's a bubbling up inside them of what the Spirit brings. The good news was, okay, they'd not heard about it. Paul tells them about it. And they go, oh, great. Okay, can I receive that? Yes. Okay, Paul lays his hands on them, they're filled with the Spirit, and they're off. Great stuff. I mean, that can be the same for us. Maybe you're sitting here today and thinking, well, I've never heard this teaching before. I've, I've always kind of thought it was, yeah, it was part and parcel of when, when I got saved, but, do you know, I've, I've always kind of struggled. I've always kind of struggled in these sort of areas. I don't seem to have the same sort of freedom that others have had. Well, you can receive the Spirit today. You can be baptized in the Spirit this morning and be filled in the same way that those Ephesians believers were. Because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Fourthly, God has given us the Scriptures. God has given us the Scriptures. How do we make decisions in life? How, how do we make decisions about how to live a godly life. When, when difficult dilemmas, decisions come up, problems, what helps us to know the right path to take? Someone actually texted me that question yesterday. It was uh, quite timely. God has provided us with the Bible. God has provided us with the scriptures. Now, obviously the people who um, Paul was writing to, Peter was writing to, they didn't have the fullness of the Bible. But they did have some scriptures. But God has provided us with his word as a foundation for life and living. And we see, again, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this. He's talking um, 
uh, to Timothy. Um, and he says to him, verse 14, as, as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. We'll come back to that in a moment. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, may have everything they need for every good work. The scriptures give us all of that. They give us everything we need. And Paul's saying, you know, you've known the scriptures from infancy. You've been taught them by your mother and your grandmother. And and it's been really helpful to you because it's helped you to live a godly life. You know, it's good to teach our children scriptures. It's good to help them to memorize scriptures, not just so that they can say, I've memorized 50 scriptures, but actually so that in life they're living with it. They're not just memorized words. There's an understanding that comes. Because with that understanding comes an ability to live a godly life. Wisdom comes from the word of God. The word of God gives us wisdom. We need to be convinced of that. Lots of people have got good and wise sounding ideas about life. Lots of people can be very convincing about about how we should live our lives and what we should do in this situation and what we should do in that situation and how we should handle our relationships and how, how our marriage should work and how we should bring up our kids and how we should manage our finances. But you know what? The scripture's got things to speak about all of those things. We need to know what the Bible says about it. That's the, the, that's the first and foremost thing because this is God's word to us. This isn't just fine sounding ideas. This isn't just people say, oh, that sounds as though it might work. Oh, I'll give that way a try. And if that doesn't work, I'll give that way a try. Look, the scriptures can help us. The scriptures can help us in all areas of our life. And we might think, well, what, what does the Bible have to say about modern life? You know, does, where does it mention the internet in the Bible? Where's that? Well, okay, it, it doesn't talk about the internet, but actually what it does talk about helps us to know how to handle the internet. We apply the things in the Bible. We look at what, what Paul and Peter and uh, David and Jesus and everyone were teaching in the context at the time, in their life situations, and we, we take that and we we apply it, the principles, to our lives. We don't just directly say, oh, you've got to do this here. But we, we apply it to our lives. That's how preaching helps us. Because preaching does that, helps us do that job, you know. It's my job when I'm preparing a message to look at a passage and think, well, what was Paul getting at at the time? What was Peter getting at at the time? Okay. Well, how do we apply that now? Okay. Well, let's make some applications to today. Don't be deceived. By critical people who say, do you know what? This is just an old-fashioned book. It's just an old-fashioned book of laws and morals, and it's got nothing to do with society today. It's outdated. You know, we can almost start to believe it. As we read God's word, as we allow the Holy Spirit to just illuminate, to light up what's written there, 
we can find that it will apply to every situation in life. It thoroughly equips us. That's what Paul is saying. It thoroughly equips us. doesn't partially equip us. doesn't give us a bit of helpful advice, but we need to go somewhere else. It thoroughly equips us. As a church, every single thing that we do or don't do, hopefully can be justified from Scripture. Hopefully we have got a biblical reason for doing everything we do or don't do. Sometimes people say, well, why don't you do that? If we can't give you a biblical answer for it, then, then we're not doing very well with it. It's just kind of an arbitrary decision. So hopefully we'll be able to give you an answer because hopefully we've thought about it and, and we want to base what we do on the Bible, on the Word of God. Feel free to challenge us on it. I say hopefully because, you know, I, I don't want to be arrogant enough to say there's nothing that we've just thought, oh, I don't know, let's do this. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully it will be able to be based on scripture. Let's make sure our life is the same. There's a lot of complicated situations that we face in life. But in terms of equipping us for wisdom, for life, knowledge of scripture can't be really beaten. People sometimes say, oh, I, I hear from God directly. Oh, now I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm, I'm hearing from God. God's told me this. God's told me that. Okay, yeah. God can encourage us. God can speak to us. Do you know what? God's given us the word. If we're, if, if we're constantly going on subjective things that we feel we've heard from God, and then we're going to make a decision on it, and we're not relating anything to the word of God, I think we've slightly got the emphasis wrong. Now, don't hear me wrong. God can speak to us supernaturally but God speaks to us very much through his word let's dedicate our lives to knowing understanding and applying what scripture says so that's four things the fifth and final thing that God has given us which helps us and equips us fully for life is the church he's given us each other now you might look around and think oh okay not so sure about that one. <laughs> but he has. He's given us each other. We're not meant to lead independent lives. We're not meant to lead lives independent of each other. It's not meant to be a case of us and our relationship with Jesus. Me and Jesus. It's me and God. That's all that matters. I guess I have to put up with coming to a building to, to, to you know, hear preaching, um, but I'm, I'm going to make sure I don't sit next to anyone else anyway. But I'll just sit independently and I'll hear that and then I'll go. That's not what it's about. We're meant to be in a church. We're meant to be dependent on each other. That verse that we saw in 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 14. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. Why? Because you know those from who you've learned it. You, Timothy, you know those from who you've learned it. You've not just read a book about something and thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. You've not just looked at something on TV. You've not just had a preacher preach to you through, a, through just a video link and you've never met him. Actually, Paul's saying, you know those people. You're in relationship with those people. From who you've learned it. 
you see the lives of these leaders and of, of, of these relatives, because it, it's not necessarily leaders. You, you see the lives of the people who've taught you that. It's not just people telling you to do something and then, for all you know, living a totally different way of life. This is what you should do. And then now that, you know, now everyone's gone home, I'll just live, live a different life now. No, there's, there's knowledge of each other, there's community, there's relationship. Someone was, was asking me, uh, you know, for these six months that we're going over to, to Canada and we've said, I'll continue to be an elder here of the church. They said, how can you be an elder of the church from a, from a distance? And that's a good question. And I think for six months, for a six month period, it probably can. Because there's, there's ways of communicating now. There's, there's, there's Skype, there's Facebook, there's um, email, there's text. We can communicate so much better. But you know what? Long term, you can't do that. Long term, you can't do that. Because if I'm, if I'm going to be a leader here, you need to know me. You need to be able to get to know me. You need to be able to know something of my way of life. The same with Dan, the same with anyone else. In the church even. You can't have a, an internet church. You can't have a church where you only relate to people through the web because you don't know them. You only get to know what they're presenting of themselves. But what are they really like? What are we really like? We find out what we're really like when, when we go in and, and camp in a wet and muddy field together. That's how we find out what we're really like. <laughs> you know, when we're with someone for an extended period of time. And that's what we do. We don't take ourselves off somewhere else. Or come in. We learn from each other. God calls us into family. God won for himself a people. Not a set of individuals. And time and time again in the New Testament, we see encouragement to live in close relationship with others in the church. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as a body. He says you're a body with many different parts. You're all dependent on each other. We all need each other. Everyone needs everyone else. Someone might say, oh, I'm not important. I'm only a foot. How, why am I so important? Paul's saying you're really important. We need the parts of the body, even the parts that seem as though they're least important. They can be the most important. In the same passage, Paul addresses people who say, oh, you know, I don't need other people. I've got everything I need. And Paul's saying, no, you do need other people. We're all dependent on each other. No one can say, I don't need you. I don't need you. We need each other. God encourages us to keep on meeting together. To encourage each other so that we don't fall away from the faith. The book of Hebrews has a number of exhortations about this. Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. We've been set free from sin. It doesn't control us anymore. But do you know what? It's deceptive. Do you know what? It can, it can get us. It can trick us. It can make us think that this is the best way. How do we avoid that? One of the ways we avoid that, we meet together with each other. What do we do? Well, how does that help? Because we're encouraging each other. We're encouraging each other in leading a godly life. Oh, come on, keep going on. Actually, let's, let's, let's live our lives this way. Let's do this. We pray for each other. It helps us 
not to get dragged away by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, 25, similar kind of theme. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And in fact, in verse 24, he says, he fills out what it is, the writer fills out what it is that we're to do. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's think about different ways we can encourage each other. Let's think about how we can, different ways we can spur someone on to love other people or to, or to live a godly life or to good deeds or whatever it might be. As we meet together, that's what happens. That's why we meet in core groups. And maybe you just think, oh, I don't really want to be part of a core. I'm happy to come on a Sunday. And I'll hear the preaching and I'll, no, we've got a whole week. Get part of us. Join a core group. Get to know some other people. Get to know their life. Spur each other on. You can be encouraged too. We do that in part by, by modeling something to others, setting an example. And it's okay. We can encourage others to follow our example if we're leading God, godly lives. Paul said in Philippians um, 3 and verse 17, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Join with us in following my example. You might think, that's a bit big-headed, Paul. Copy me. Surely we should be following Jesus' example. God's example. Well, yeah. But, but Paul's saying, do you know what? I'm trying to live a godly life here. He's not claiming to be perfect, but he's saying, follow what I do. Follow my example. Actually, if there's others amongst us who, who are living godly lives, who, whose lives match up with what, they, what we've taught, this is what we've taught. Now, does your life match up? Okay. Well, we can, we can take note of that. We can follow them as well. If people in church body aren't living godly lives, there's also the place for correction. That usually, not always, but usually comes from, from, from leaders. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, he's talking about immorality in the church. And he's saying, look, he said, your boasting is not good. People are boasting about, about stuff that's going on. He says, don't you know, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. He's saying, actually, if there's, if there's immorality going on within the church, within the church body, where we're supposed to be copying and following each other's example, we're supposed to be looking and saying, this is the safe place. There's a world out there that's doing all sorts of things and living all sorts of different ways. And we don't know what we should be doing. But here we've got a church. And this church is God's holy people. And do you know what? We can look at what's going on here and we can imitate them. But if there's some immorality, if there's some godlessness within the church, that's just confusing. And, and, and that's, he says it's like yeast and it just spreads through the whole dough. We, other people start thinking, well, oh, that must be okay. Because we're to follow and we're to imitate what's, what other people are doing. So oh, that's okay. We can live our lives this way. And it spreads and it spreads. And Paul's saying, no, you need to get rid of the yeast. It can seem harsh. It can seem harsh. Sometimes what we call church discipline can seem harsh. Oh, that's, church discipline, what's that about? 
Actually, it's just bringing truth and saying, do you know what? Your life isn't living in accordance with this. And then, and then sometimes that can bring repentance. That's what we look for. Oh, yeah, thank you for highlighting that to me. I see that now. I see that now. Thank you. Sometimes there's hard-heartedness. And at those times we have to say to people, do you know what? Actually, we, you, we can't have you as part of the church now. We want, we'd love to welcome you back. Actually, we'd love you to repent. We'd love you to, to change your ways. But, uh, but at the moment you're living this life and, and you're going to, other people are looking at you and it, and it can spread. And so actually you need to be, you need to be outside of the church. So isn't that harsh? No, it's protecting because we've got a world, a world that's living in those ways. And the church needs to be a way that we can copy and follow others living godly lives. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2 says, Leaders are to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Many of us might like it if it just stuck to leaders are to encourage. But there is a place for correction and even rebuke. Maybe we find that difficult in our independent society. It can be difficult for people. Who are you to tell me what to do? I can hear from God myself. I don't need you inputting into my life, thank you very much. And you know what? It's true. We, we, we don't need intermediaries between ourselves and God. We can relate to God ourselves. We don't need a, 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 a priest or someone to stand in our place. But neither. And we don't need people controlling our lives and making decisions for us. It's gotta come, it's gotta come from our own, our own relationship with God. But neither are leaders to stand back and just let people make mistakes, live godless lives, live however they want. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction and with grace. And with grace. So five things, five things there that God has given us. He's given us everything we need. He's given us forgiveness and reconciliation. He's given us a new nature. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the scriptures. And he's given us the church. We can be confident today along with those Peter was writing to, that God has given us everything we need through the divine power of Jesus Christ. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's not, it's not a pick and mix. We need it all. We need everything God's got for us. Some, some people would say, do you know what? I'll go with a lot of that. I'm not keen on the Holy Spirit stuff. Do you know what? It freaks me out. I don't want that bit. I'll have the rest of it. But it's not a pick and mix. Others, others say, I can't be doing with the church. I just can't be doing with it. It's too difficult. There's too many problems. I don't want the church. Others are happy to be led by the Spirit, but actually don't really value the Word of God. Some people default to legalism and rules. Actually, we want to embrace it all. Because it's all been given to us by God. God himself has given us these things. Let's, let's embrace them. Let's take hold of them. Sometimes where we need to wrestle with some things, let's wrestle with them. But let's press through. Let's persevere. Let's, 
Let's accept everything God's given us because it's for us and it's for our life and it's for our godliness. Let's pray.